0: We've heard the saying, a picture is worth a thousand words. And I was thinking about that yesterday as we were driving up. uh, We were visiting my brother in South Carolina, and we had several hours in the car, and I asked my wife to do something for me. I asked her to look up a picture on her phone, anything she chose, something that she would think of as a beautiful picture of any kind, and not tell me what it was, but to, to describe to me what she saw and then after she finished describing, I would, I would try to picture what it was, and then I would see what she was actually looking at, actually seeing, and, and compare my mind's, my, my imagination of it versus the real thing. And I listened carefully as she was talking. I listened to the words she used to describe what she was seeing. And I knew the elements. She told me what they were. She didn't hide them from me. She described them very well. And I had this mental image based on experiences that I had based on things that I've seen. And she was describing a landscape and a sunset and a giraffe, and you could see the trees and the water and, and the beautiful sky. And she got done, and I looked at the picture, and it was nothing like what I had imagined. It was far better, far better. Everything that she had described was there. But what I had pictured was worlds different. And the actual picture was so much better. Now, imagine trying to do that with somebody who... maybe an accident, maybe a sickness, has taken their eyesight. They used to be able to see, and now they're blind. And you're trying to describe to them what you're seeing. Imagine the difference, and we can't know for sure, but if, if i still seeing, I can still see these things that she was telling me about. If I had such trouble imagining what she was seeing... Imagine what a blind person, what kind of trouble they might have. Imagine someone who is born blind. They've never seen a giraffe. They've never seen a sunset. Imagine how far off they would be from the actual picture. And we're going to come back to this, but I want us to go to the book of Job tonight. And we're going to see, hopefully, the Lord will reveal to us a particular lesson in the book of Job, and we're going to take some time for context. Uh, I, I, I want to move quickly, and I'm trusting that you already have a pretty good handle on what the book of Job is all about, but we're going to move through it fairly, pretty quickly, and I want us to see a few things, a few uh, points that are pertinent to our text where we'll end up this evening. First of all, I want us to see that Job was successful in the ways that matter most. He was obviously very prosperous, but he was spiritually successful. He was a godly man. He was following God, obedient to God. Job chapter 1, verse 1, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. This is, these are objective statements. This is said about Job. This is the kind of man that he was. Look at verse 5. And it was so in the days of their feasting were gone about, his children here, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all, his children. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually... Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? This is almost word for word. Verse 1, these are, these are God's words. This is what God says about the man. And if that's not success, I, I don't know what is. This is not just, you know, Job writing a memoir for himself and, yeah, this man, let me tell you about him, bragging on himself. This, these are God's words to, speaking to Satan. Have, have, you seen what, have you seen this man? These are true things. Job was a successful man in the most important ways. But of course, we know that he endured perhaps the greatest amount of, of trial, the greatest trial that, that we could ever imagine. Uh, let's look in verse 13 of chapter 1. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and there came a messenger unto Job, And said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. While he was yet speaking, another servant comes. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep. While he was yet speaking, verse 17, the Chaldeans made out three bands, fell upon the camels, and have carried them away. Verse 18, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Sometimes we think the worst thing would be for us to lose our lives. But especially if you know the Lord, it's, that's not the worst thing. Sometimes the worst thing that could happen to us would be to live in pain, maybe like Job had. Yeah. All of a sudden, what he viewed as his success—he didn't know what God had in mind—but his success, he was very wealthy, and he was he was very uh, diligent to do what he believed was right, what God wanted him to do. It all came crashing down. His calamity. We see his faithfulness and his submission. Verse 20, then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Look at verse 7. Of chapter two. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils, from the sole of his foot unto his crown, and he took him a potcher sure to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall not shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. He was submitted to God. He worshipped. In the day of his calamity, he worshipped. And he stayed faithful. He did not sin against God with his lips. Of course, we know that Job's friends arrive, and they showed true love for him. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they came. Verse 12 of chapter 2, when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they didn't recognize him. They lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. And after seven, well, at least seven days and seven nights, I don't know how long it took his friends to reach him, have you ever experienced a trial and... The first few days you're just trying to process the shock of it. And after a week or two the shock maybe you're still adjusting to the new the new normal so to speak, but but the shock has worn off and now you have time to give an opinion on it all. That's what we see in chapter 3. After this, Job opened his mouth or opened Job's mouth and cursed his day. And Job spake and said, "Let the day perish." Wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said there is a man-child conceived. Look at verse 11. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees prevent me? Or why the breasts that I should suck? For now should I have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept, and then had I been at rest. Why is this? Why am I even alive? I wish I would have died the day I was born. We see his bitterness, his grief. After he's had time to process... We see his bitterness. And over the next several chapters, uh, his friends try to, I assume they were trying to help him. It wasn't very much help to him, but they were trying to, to, to show him, you know, God's not at fault here. You must be in some sin. He's judging you because God only does this sort of thing to wicked people. And there's this back and forth, you know, the book, Job is saying, no, I I'm not in sin. I haven't brought this on myself. I don't know what's going on. I'm just, I'm just in bitterness and grief over all of this. No, no, Job. You're in great sin. You need to repent. Then God will bless you again. You just need to get right. Through chapter 25, we see this. But turn to, turn to chapter 23. I think unwittingly, Job actually utters the diagnosis of his problem, or at least the lesson that God had in mind for him. I found this very interesting. Job chapter 3, verse 8, or 23, excuse me, 23, verse 8. He says, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, speaking of God, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. You hear what he's saying? You know how faithful I've been? I serve God, I sacrifice to God, but I don't see him. Where is he? I'm searching for him, and I, I don't know where he is. I can't find him. Of course, he, he, he speaks some truth here, showing his faith in God, verse 10. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. But he says, I cannot behold him. I cannot see him. As the, this dialogue between Job and his friends go on, we see Job's attitude changing from one of, woe is me, I wish I'd never been born, this, I, I just wish I could be dead, to, I don't deserve this. Do you know how I've lived? Have you seen? Does anyone have a complaint against me? This isn't right. I'm a good person. I'm a, good, I'm a righteous man. I shouldn't have to go through this. I should be blessed. Job begins to talk about his self-righteousness. Look at Job chapter 27, verse 5. He says, God forbid that I should justify you. Till I die, I will not remove mine integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. Let mine enemy be as the wicked, and he that riseth up against me as as the unrighteous. Chapter 29, verse 1. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me. Verse 11. When the ear heard me, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw me, it gave witness to me, because I delivered the poor that cried, and the fatherless, and him that had none to help him. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness. And it clothed me. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. I was eyes to the blind, and feet was I to the lame. I was a father to the poor, and the cause which I knew not I searched out. And I break the jaws of the wicked and pluck the spoil out of his teeth. Do we see a problem here? Now, I'm not critical of Job. I don't think I've ever been guilty (laughs) of being described as the most godly man on the earth. I don't think I have to worry about that being used of me. I'm not sitting in judgment over Job. But I am pointing out that Job had some things God was working on. Job, there's a lot of wisdom in the book of Job. A lot of it is misapplied wisdom. But it is wisdom. His friends had a lot of true things to say about God. They ascribed a lot of uh, things to God, uh, motives, perhaps actions to God that, that were not true. Job has, has a lot of wisdom to show us. i 'm not sitting in judgment over Job, but I am pointing out job's attitude here. Look at chapter 30, verse one. He says, "But now they that are younger than I have, in, have, in, have me excuse me, but now they that are younger than I have me in derision, whose fathers I would have disdained to have set with the dogs of my flock. They're younger than me, they have me in derision. Their fathers I would not have put with the dogs of my flock. Yea, whereto might the strength of their hands profit me? In whom old age was perished? Look at verse 10. They abhor me. Remember that word, abhor. They abhor me. They flee far from me and spare not to spit in my face. We see his, he's talking about being mistreated. Other people are mistreating. They don't measure up to me, and yet they're mistreating me. They abhor me. Do you see the suffering I'm going through? It was great suffering. But he's pointing out and and, and pleading things that he ought not to be pleading. Verse 25. Did not I weep for him that was in trouble? Was not my soul grieved for the poor? This is not fair. I've helped those who are in trouble, and now I'm the one, I'm being abhorred when I'm in trouble. This isn't fair in all of this. And, and, and again, we're, we're going very quickly over all of this, but the point I want to bring out that he's, he's talking about his moral integrity. His faith in God, his kindness and generosity towards the needy, his personal discipline. He, I have made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? These are good statements. And, and we would, we would um, commend Job for living this way. But he's talking about himself, and he says, basically, I don't deserve this calamity because I'm a godly man. Chapter 32, verse 1. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. That's a dangerous place for us to be, righteous in our own eyes. Of course, we know from chapter 32 and through, uh, through 37, a man named Elihu speaks. And it's in, I found it interesting God doesn't really comment on Elihu. We read the next chapters, and Elihu has a lot of strong things to say, and I can't find any reason to disagree with what he has to say. In fact, what he says uh, has a lot in common with what God says after that. But we don't find any commentary from the Lord about Elihu, maybe because it doesn't need any. But after Elihu speaks... We find that God speaks. Turn to chapter 38. You know, it's a terrible, but also a wonderful thing when God speaks. It is a fearful thing when God speaks. This morning in in the Sunday school hour, we were at our tables. We were talking about the day of the Lord. And when God comes down to do battle, when Jesus Christ comes down to do battle with his enemies, the revelation talks about a sharp sword proceeding out of his mouth. God's words created the universe. God's words will destroy his enemies. It's a terrible thing, as Job found, but it's also a wonderful thing, as Job found. Chapter 38, verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? And he goes on, he gives many questions. Where were you when I did this? Have you, have you found out about this? Did you know about this? Have you discovered these things? Just small things about creation. He does that for two chapters. After two chapters of for Job, unanswerable riddles, Job surrenders. Chapter 40, verse 1, That moreover the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. And the Lord said, Good job. No, He didn't. Verse 6, Then answered the Lord out unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, "Gird Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. God wasn't done yet. Job said, Okay, you're right. I will... Put my hand on my mouth. No more, no more out of me. You're right. I'm wrong. No, I'm not finished yet. Answer me this. And he goes on over the next two chapters to talk about a beast called Leviathan and a beast called Behemoth. And just small things. The Behemoth is this way. The Leviathan is this way. Can man measure up to that? Can you capture him? Can you kill him? He's not afraid of you. This is just a creature that I've created. And you're going to contend with me? Look at verse 6 of chapter 40. I'm sorry, we just read that. I'm uh, losing my place in my notes here. But God thoroughly demonstrates, in talking about these beasts, He thoroughly demonstrates man's frailty. And our humility in the sense of where we really rank in our might, in our power. I'm very thankful that God put the fear of man in the beasts, because we would probably not be eradicated by something like COVID, but be eradicated by something like, you know, elephants and lions and beasts that that had it out for man and gave a concerted effort, we wouldn't stand a chance, because we're really not that powerful. We're really not that smart. And God is showing this to Job. Job. Look at chapter 42. Job sees and understands the point that God is trying to make. Verse 1 Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. The, mess, the title of the message is Hearing versus Seeing. And we see the very great difference there is here. I want us to take these verses here and see three things in relation to seeing that I trust the Lord will use and help us with tonight. First of all, I want us to think about the protests to seeing. Job says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore? Because of that, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And we'll talk about it, but this is when the whole book just resolves very quickly and we see God's blessing return again to Job's life. But there are protests to seeing, Job had to go through this process. He wasn't ready to see right at first. And we aren't either. And what, what, what would be the protests maybe that we would have to seeing the Lord in the way that Job did? Now notice it doesn't say that God appeared to Job. It says God spoke to Job. So I'm not speaking of a of a seeing with our physical eyes. It's a a spiritual understanding, it's a spiritual revealing, God helping us to see him more personally, more directly, more accurately. But 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 the human heart protests against this. I don't need this. This isn't important. I've already had this. What are some protests? Well, some things that Job was saying. Do you know what kind of a man I am? Do you know what I've done? I'm a good Do you know how faithful I've been? And he didn't I don't I don't remember reading this anywhere, but he could have said also, when all of this happened to me, I didn't curse God and die. My own wife wanted me to. You guys are making it hard on me. I haven't sinned with my lips. He didn't say that, but he could have. There's a lot to brag about in the flesh. He was bragging. And we don't we don't want to admit that we're missing something. We say, look, look at us. You know, I I go to church every time the doors are open. You understand that I I faithfully give tithe? Let me tell you what I give to faith promise. I made a missions trip last year. You know what I gave up to serve the Lord? I'm doing good. Look at me. I don't need this in my life. God doesn't have to get my attention. He already has my attention. God doesn't need to send trials my way. I'm a righteous person. We protest. We know things about God. We're faithful. We're righteous. This is unfair. And why do we protest that way? Well, two basic reasons, I believe. One is we're looking at ourselves, we are lifting up ourselves. But secondly, we don't understand the God that we serve. He says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. That's what we do every Sunday in church, right? We hear of God with our ears. I was interested to find out, find out when I looked that up, in, in the Old Testament especially, he, the hearing of the ear, it had, it's, it's repeatedly, not all the time, but repeatedly talking about it in a setting like this. A group of people hearing a speaker. I've heard about God. I know God. I I grew up in a Christian home. I've heard about Him. I know all about Him. And yet, we don't realize that we're fashioning this picture of God in our minds, and it's not even close to the real thing. There are true things about it. There are accurate things, features of God in our mind. But when you compare the mental image to the real thing, there is no comparison world's different, and we're missing out, but we get satisfied with what we have up here. This is what I want to serve. This is the God that I want to have. I don't need this trial in my life. I want to serve this God, not this scary one that's acting in a way different from the one I've fashioned in my mind. We protest. I don't want to see. I'm satisfied with where I am. This is is the process Job went through. We see protests to seeing. And I think as we get closer to seeing, we tend to protest more because we see, we understand there is a price to seeing. Job says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. It's so distant, I have heard of thee. You know, a witness should tell others of Christ. Let me tell you of Christ. Let me tell you about him. And that's where we have to start. But if you're saved and you're walking with God, don't be satisfied with just hearing of God. Now, again, I'm not not judging Job. He didn't even have the scriptures. But we do. Job was, was restricted to hearing of God. And there's no shame in that. That's good. That's a place to start. But we ought not be satisfied with that. To he only hear of God. He says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. Very gen- he doesn't even say my ear. I mean, we know that he, lists, he had ears and he could hear. But it's very impersonal. He says, But. But. Hearing of God is good. And it's where it begins. But there's something much more powerful in store for God's people. Amen. If we will follow Him. There's something much greater, much better, much different. I have heard of the by the hearing of the ear, but now. But now. I'm reminded of the, the lyrics in Amazing Grace. I once was blind but now I see. Amen. He says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now, notice this change in person, but now mine eye seeth thee. Direct. I used to hear of you, now I am seeing you. There's a price to it because he says, Wherefore, because of this, because I've seen you, this is what it has wrought in me. I abhor myself. Earlier he was complaining that others were unjustly abhorring him, and now he says, I've seen the Lord, I abhor myself. When I gaze on the holiness of God... I can't do anything but abhor myself. And when you abhor yourself, you will be willing to repent in dust and ashes. To put yourself as low as you can go because that is our proper place. To abhor ourselves, there's a price. It's not fun, it's not comfortable. And we push back from it because we don't want to go there. It's too scary, it's too painful. But abhorring ourse- ourself, our sin, repenting is just a wonderful doorway to blessing. I'm reminded of Isaiah's response in chapter six when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He says, "Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips." How do you know this, Isaiah? For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This was a man that God called to be a prophet. And he abhorred himself when he saw the Lord. I'm reminded of Simon Peter's response when Jesus told him to push the bow out in the water and cast cast down his nets. Lord, (laughs) we've been trying that all night. We haven't caught a thing, nevertheless... And he did it, and they were about to sink. The nets were breaking. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He saw the Lord, he saw the Lord's power, and he abhorred himself. There's a price to seeing. May we desire, may it be our heart's desire to see the Lord. I think about Moses in Exodus thirty-three, eighteen, 18, where he says to the Lord, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Lord, would you show me yourself? I've learned about you from the scriptures, but I want to know you more. Would you show yourself to me? I understand there's a price. I understand the effect it'll have on me, but I want to see you. Not with our physical eyes. God's not going to appear in the sky for us to look at, but he will reveal himself to our heart. Amen. Are we willing to pay the price? What's the lesson for us? How do we see God? I don't want to leave you with just some emotional pep talk. Let's let, uh, I want to get practical for a minute here. Seeing God. How do we do that? There's not a formula. There's not a one, two, three. Follow these steps and you'll see the Lord. But we do see some instructive things, again, from the book of Job. From the example of Job. We won't read them again, but we already read in chapter one, we saw what Job was busy doing when his calamity came. And I think think I'm pretty pretty safe in saying this, that God would not have revealed himself to Job that way if, God, if Job had been an unfaithful man. If Job had been running from God, not interested in God, not doing what God wanted him to do, I don't think that God would have done this in his life, given us the book of Job. And so, if you want to see the Lord, if I want to see the Lord, what's the first step? Well, be busy obeying what you know to do. Amen. If you're not obeying what you already know you should do, why will the Lord come down and show you something else, something additional? You're not faithful to what you already know. Our problem, my problem, I, I'm not going to speak for you, but my problem is not that, you know, I would be a righteous man if only I knew more. No, my problem is I have trouble doing what I already know I should be doing. Right. That's where my focus needs to lie is doing what I already know. Job was busy doing that. It said that he, he sacrificed continually for his children just in case they were disobedient to God in some way. Be busy obeying what you know to do. Secondly, listen when God speaks. Sometimes it's easy, maybe in any kind of conversation, it's easy to to say something to someone and they reply and you listen to their reply just long enough to get an idea of what direction they're headed and then you tune them out so that you can formulate your next response. And then you got it formulated and you're just waiting for, for an opening to say it. You're not listening to them. You're listening to yourself. I've been guilty of it. That was not Job's response to the Lord. He listened when God spoke. He didn't just listen to justify himself. God spoke and kept challenging him and kept pressing him and kept pressing him. And Job said, you're right. I am wrong. I'm just going to quit talking. And then God said, I'm not done yet. And he pressed him again and challenged him again. Job just listened. He took it. Listen when God speaks. How does God speak? Well, He speaks through our Bible reading. Do we do it? He speaks through our prayer. We heard a good message this morning about prayer. And it's, it's easy, again, God bless everyone, amen. Well, we didn't even give God a chance to speak to us through that. But when we bear our heart before the Lord, the Psalms are full of this. Pour out your heart to God. Turn your eyes to God. And you know what He'll do? He'll strengthen you, he'll bless you, he'll encourage you, and you'll walk away saying, I'm so thankful God spoke to me. I got on my knees to talk to God. I'm so thankful he spoke to me. God speaks to us through our Bible reading. Are we listening? It's so easy to just read a few verses and our mind's already off on our workday. We're not listening to God, giving him a chance to speak to us. We're not listening in our prayer. It's so easy for us to sit in the pew and be tired and be distracted and to be thinking about something that happened yesterday or something that will happen tomorrow. We're not listening. But God wants to speak to us. We ought to listen when God speaks. And thirdly, when He does speak, we ought to accept what He says. We ought to listen to be corrected. It's an attitude of God, I know I have a problem. I might know what it is. I might not. But regardless, I I know I have a problem. Would you speak to me and show me what it is? Lord, would you correct me tonight? Would you correct me now as I open up my Bible for my morning devotions? Would you correct me? Whatever it is you want from me, I'm listening to be corrected. I'm not listening to get a pat on the back. I'm not listening to, to, to have something that I can... You know, impress others with, I'm listening to be corrected. It might be encouragement. That can be correction. I was, I was down and I was sorrowing and the Lord encouraged me. That can be correct. He corrected my direction. Now it's, now it's an upward looking direction. It might be I'm in sin and I didn't know it and God corrected me. Lord, would you correct me? I'm listening to be corrected. Job didn't argue with God like he had argued with his friends. How foolish it is for us to push God's correction out of our mind. Yeah, well, you know, God's probably got a point, but I'm not going to deal with that right now. We can distract ourselves. We can just push it out. We're not, we're not necessarily saying God's wrong, but we'll deal with it later. We're pushing it out of our minds. Sometimes we, we dispute with what God has to say. No, I don't think that's right. I think it's this instead, Lord. How foolish it is for us to do that. Job didn't argue. How do we see the Lord? How can we see Him? To, to have our mental image, you might describe it as a, as a little idol we have in our minds, it's a false representation. We don't do it uh, intentionally. We're, 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 our understanding is so limited. And, and we ought to always be growing. But that's the point. We, we ought always to be growing. We'll never fully understand the Lord. And he always wants to continually reveal himself to us. This, this process of, of seeing him is kind of a cycle. We see him and we grow and we, and we rejoice and we move on. And then God wants to reveal himself even further to us. And it's a cycle. How do we do that? We do what we know. We listen when he speaks, and we listen to be corrected. There's a big difference between hearing of God and seeing him. And if all we do is spend our life hearing of God, we're missing out. There's also a profit to seeing, a benefit to seeing. And we find it in Job chapter 42... We'll turn there quickly. If you're not already there, I think I moved away from it. Job 42. There's an important reason for us to see not just personal benefit. Verse 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly. And in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right like my servant Job. The prophet for seeing is helping others to be right with God. If all we have done is only hear of the Lord, we're very limited in what we can tell others. But have you ever received a blessing directly from the Lord and you're just you're on cloud nine and you just have to tell somebody, let me tell you what God did in my life. Let me show you what He showed me. He changed my life. He gave me victory. I just can't stop talking about it. You've got to know this Savior. Amen. Amen. That is powerful. Amen. There might be a family member. That will not come to the Lord unless you see Him. And God uses you in their life. There might be a coworker that won't hear of God if all you know is what you have also heard of God. There's a profit for seeing the Lord. There is a price. Let's not protest because there is a price. Let's look at the profit instead. There's personal profit. I've seen the Lord. Let me tell you how He's changed my life. And once you see them and once you repent in dust and ashes, you don't want to go back. Amen. But there are also people out there that need you to see the Lord, that need me to see God clearly so that we can go out and tell them, Amen. so that we can go reach them. We have the Scriptures. And if we won't go to them and follow them, What hope does a lost world have? God wants to reveal himself to you and me and to those out there. Let's not just be hearing with the ear. Let's have our eyes open and ready for God to reveal himself to us. We can't make him do it. We can't go discover him if he doesn't want us to see him. He has to reveal himself to us but he does. He, he will, and he wants to, if we'll be watching.